If we haven't met before, my name is Brent Smith, and I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church. Sam Bicknell's already yawning, so that doesn't give me much hope for the next 45 minutes, but we'll see uh, what happens. Uh, certainly want to welcome you here if this is your first time. Uh, we're glad that you've joined us here this morning. Uh, we're back in 2 Corinthians this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we finished off last time with verses 16 and 17, so we're going to pick it up in verse 18 and read through to the first couple verses of chapter 6. There we go. <clears throat> and we want to talk this morning about God being a giving God. God being a God who gives good gifts. And I just think in, in light of just the last 24 hours, I just want to back up and read a few verses from chapter 4. Okay, both to set the context for what we're reading and just uh, in light of, of Pete. And uh, it was just such a blessing this week that Mark and I got to go up and visit Pete on, on Wednesday and just be there with him and, uh, and pray with him. And Mark and I were just kneeling down with him and we got to read Psalm 23 to him. And uh, it was just a great moment. We were reading and I got to the part where it says he restores our soul and you could just see the corners of Pete's mouth go up into a, into a small grin. He restores our soul. And we know, as Mark said, that Pete is now restored and whole and we praise God for that. So let's back up. We're going to read 4.16 through to what our focus is on this morning, all right? So Paul says, there's not a slide for this, but you'll catch it when we get to where we're at. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage, while we know that while we, know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. 
For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beautiful truth of your word. We thank you for the precious promises that we have in it, that we have an eternal weight of glory that awaits us. And to be absent from the body is to be present with you. And so we thank you that Pete is present with you. There is fullness of joy there, that he has received the reward. And we just praise you for it, Father. You're such a great God. You're such a great God. And we just pray as we look at your word this morning. We pray that your spirit would work. We pray that your spirit would work in our hearts, that you'd encourage us, that you'd challenge us, that you'd convict us. We just open ourselves to your word and we just say that you can come have your way amongst us, Father. Our desire is to be changed by your word. Our desire is to not be the same people we were when we walked in this room this morning. And so we pray that by your Spirit you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. As I said, our focus this morning is on verse 18 down through uh, verse 2 of chapter 6. And in these verses, I want us to see three things that God gives us, three gifts from God. But even before that... I think we just need to start with the foundation, kind of a, a big picture of God as a giver. We need to see the big picture of the giving nature of God, because then it only works to bring more delight when we look at the gifts, all right? So a gift is important and special to us, not just because of what the gift is, but also because of who the giver is. So a gift if a gift is expensive or a gift is valuable or life-changing, then it's very important to us. We treasure it. But also, if the gift is given to us by someone that loves us or someone that's important to us, then the gift becomes important to us 
as well, right? So in my office, I have this picture. You at the back probably can't see it, but I have this picture, and it's a picture of myself and my oldest daughter, Aaliyah, as stick figure superheroes, okay? <laughs> right? And so that's an important gift to me. Why? Because I know Aaliyah is, I'm important in Aaliyah's life. She loves me. I know that it was drawn at a time of great anxiety of starting school for the first time. And so it's her and I as superheroes standing together. So the gift is important and precious to me because of who gave it, right? If Mark knocked on my door one morning and said, hey, Brent, I just drew this picture of you and your daughter as stick figure superheroes. I would like you to have it. It would be slightly less precious to me, right? It would, not, it would not be in a frame. It would be somewhat disturbing. Right? So the gift, is the gift and the value we place on the gift isn't just from the gift itself, but from the giver as well. And so if we have an, uh, a truly valuable gift given to us by someone of great love and great importance, then how amazing and precious to us is the gift, right? So we need to start just by looking at the giving nature of who God is, and that will only serve to just amplify the preciousness of the gifts when we look at them, okay? So that's why we first want to take a step back and see the giving nature of God. So between, so between speaking of the new creation in verse 17, which we looked at last time, and Christ's reconciliation in verse 18, there's this little phrase uh, to transition between the two, and it says, all this is from God. See that right at the first? All this is from God. You guys can back up there. Go back to, there you go. All, we'll stay there for a minute. All this is from God. It's a little phrase, but Paul isn't one to waste words, and Paul wants us to get, get this, it's like he'll take every opportunity to remind us that all these blessings come to us from God. All this is from God. God is a giver. God is a giver. He wants us to see and stand on and rejoice over the giving nature of God. At the Advent family event there at the building yesterday, there was one of the stations, and it was about God's gift to us. And the kids sat, and, and, they, and they wrote things down. And, and so you can say, well, yeah, God's giving nature. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit amateur. It's a bit elementary. It's a bit, a bit childish. But what, when, when, when we hit the struggles of life, what do we begin to doubt but the giving nature of God. And when life is really even keel and we're doing good, what's the thing that we tend to ignore and not even think about but the giving nature of God and his good gifts? What are the things that we're so prone to take for granted but the very gifts of God that we are enjoying? We're so prone to lose sight of the giving nature of God. And it's so easy for us then to carry these misconceptions of who God is. Many people see God not as a generous giver, giver, 
but as a stingy Scrooge, right? I've prayed for this thing over and over and over and over, and he withholds it. He certainly could do it if he wanted to, so he must be a stingy God. He keeps such a tight fist on anything that would be good for me. Like small children, we ignore the many gifts that we've been given, that we did nothing to earn, only to throw a fit about the Timbit that we don't have as we make our way to the family Advent Christmas event. It's just hypothetically, yeah. <laughs> we can be so quick to see God as a stingy God. Or maybe you're here and you primarily see God as a taker, not a giver. God is always asking, 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 taking, 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 taking. He just wants my money. He just wants to take enjoyment from my life. He just wants my freedom, my plans. God is nothing more than a leech looking to suck me dry. He is a taker. Still others see God as a giver, but not of good things. Ever since I started to follow God, this happened and that happened and this happened and that happened and God's a giver, all right, and he's given me a pretty raw deal. All I've got are bad gifts from God. But Jesus says in Matthew 7, 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He gives good gifts. He gives good gifts. Still though, even when we see this generosity of God, we're so twisted that we can come to the conclusion that God might be a giver, but he's a careless giver. He's a careless giver. One time, my uncle gave me this like eight-inch uh, jackknife, locking blade, wood and gold all on the side. It was a beautiful knife. I was seven. My parents didn't know what to do. He was slightly intoxicated when he gave it to me, and it was awkward, right? It was a careless, a careless gift. It was a good gift, but it was carelessly given. And in the same way, when we start to see just how generous of a giver God is, we can think, well, he's careless. He just gives things flippantly. If he really knew who I was or what I was like, he wouldn't be so quick to hand these things out to me. God, have might, God might have given me this, but he was foolish to waste it on me, right? But God isn't flippant or careless in his giving. What he gives, he gives with wisdom. What he gives, he gives with purpose, with thought. Thought that stretches back into eternity past. Thought that looks into the very depths of your heart. And still, he gives. He is not a careless giver. He is not a careless giver. God is a good gift giver. You guys can go to the next slide there. God is a good gift giver. He gives good gifts. The consideration and the thought behind the gift is good. The quality of the gift is good. The purpose of the gift is good. God gives good gifts. So without even going beyond 
the letter of 2 Corinthians, we see this. Paul says, all this is from God. What this is he referring to? Well, he's referencing all that he has said before. Paul wants us to remind us and just get it into our thick heads and our hard hearts that all these blessings are from God. They're all from God. Our new creation, our future glory, the abiding presence of His Spirit, the treasure in jars of clay, the freedom of the Spirit, sufficiency before God, comfort in the midst of affliction. Over and over and over again, He gives, He gives, He gives, He gives, He gives. All this is from God. And I so appreciated Sue's word this morning. And we understand that things can be hard, that life can be in no way easy when we follow God. And we know that there are times in God, in His infinite wisdom, does take. And we know that there are times of great pain and confusion and unanswered prayer. And I'm not diminishing those things or ignoring those things in any way. But even in those things, we can stand on the truth of God's word that says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 84, 11. Paul reminds us all this is from God. In fact, when you widen it out, everything that we have has come to us out of the generosity of God. We need to think about that for a moment. Acts 17.25 said, God himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God has given to mankind life and breath and everything. That word everything there, it actually means everything. He has given to us everything. Every morning as we open our eyes, we are greeted by hundreds of gifts from God as we frantically get ready for our day. When we crash on our bed at night, seldom do we reflect on the generosity of God poured out on us throughout the day that has passed. And so we need to start here and see big picture, God is a giver. God is a giver. John 3, 34 to 35. For he whom God has sent utter, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, Son and has given all things into his hand. Jesus answered Pilate in John 19, You have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, and tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.4, I give thanks to my God always for you because the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. 1 John 3.1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Jesus prays to his Father in John 17, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. And in a moment, we'll celebrate communion together. When Jesus sat down with his disciples, he said, this is my body, which is given 
for you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. God is a giver. We need to fix our eyes on that big picture and see because we're so tempted and so our eyes so set on ourselves when hardships pop up. We're so tempted to lose sight. We're so prone to forget God is a giver. We're so, so apt to not see the giving nature of God. He is a generous, generous God. He is a generous, generous God. God gives. God gives. Those two words are like the heartbeat of a Christian. God gives. God gives. God gives. When we feel weak, God gives. When we despair and are hopeless, God gives. When we feel self-righteousness rising up in us, God gives. When we chase after the idols of self-reliance and independence, God gives. We need to see God as the giver. Do you see it this morning? Do you see the great generosity of God this morning? Do you see God as the great giver? Is the giving nature of God something you stand on and rejoice over? All those songs that we've been singing, they're all about God has given. And so we rejoice. So we rejoice. What does he give? We see the big picture. God is a giver. All this is from God. All this is from God. Now what does he give? I've read many examples of what he gives, but what does Paul want us to see here in 2 Corinthians 5? What does Paul want us to see here? In this setting of the generosity of God, what gifts does Paul want us to see? So in verses 18 to 21, in verses 18 to 21, Paul flips back and forth between two gifts from God. So he says in verse 18 that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. All right, that's gift number one, that God has reconciled him, us to himself through Christ and that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And then after verse 18, in the verses that follow, they just serve to kind of explain more of those two gifts. There is this back and forth as he goes. So it's a bit like this. It's a bit like like that. So we've got gift number one and gift number two, the gift of reconciliation, the gift of the ministry of reconciliation, and then he just kind of goes back and forth through those verses. So if that's helpful for you, we're just going to pull that apart, all right? And we'll look at this one, gift number one, the gift of reconciliation. So if you just look at the first gift, the gift of reconciliation, and you read these verses, it sounds a bit like this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the word, world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Gift number one. Right? Now, gift number two. If we just look at gift number two and read these verses, it sounds a bit like this. All this is from God who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. All right? If that's not helpful for you, it was at least helpful for me in preparing. Okay? So the first gift, the gift of reconciliation. The Bible uses many different words to describe the beauty of our salvation. It uses the language of the courtroom, justification, we're justified before God. It uses the language of a family, we're adopted, adoption. It uses the language of the slave market, redemption. It uses the language of the temple altar, Jesus is our propitiation. But here, Paul uses the word reconciliation, which is the language of friendship, which is the language of friendship. We are reconciled to God. Reconciliation takes place when friends who have fallen out with each other have their friendship renewed. They have become reconciled. They have become reconciled. And this is exactly what has happened through Jesus. You see, in the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve enjoying a perfect friendship with God. A perfect friendship with God. They walked with Him. They enjoyed each other's company. But then through the rebellion against God, that friendship was broken. And the human race plunged into sin. And now instead of friendship, we find hostility. Hostility. The Bible says that in our sin, we are enemies of God. That's not a comfortable image to think about. In our sin, we are enemies of God. That's a sobering thing to think about. If you're here this morning and you don't consider yourself a Christian, you probably don't think of yourself in those terms. You most likely don't consciously hate God or are even aware of your resistance and rebellion toward Him. But without Christ, there is no friendship with God. Without Christ, there is no friendship with God. There is only hostility because of the offense of our sin against Him. God, in His holiness and in His justice, He must judge sin. Sin cannot just be pushed under the carpet and ignored, or God would not have the integrity or the justice that we see with even the lowest of judges in human court. But verse 19 tells us that God does not count our trespasses, our sins, against us. How? How can this be? God cannot just ignore sin. He can't just push it under the carpet or He is not worthy of worship. Then our justice and our sense of justice is way far above His, his sense of justice. God can't just ignore it. And yet verse 19 tells us that He does not count our trespasses against us. How? Because He counted them against Jesus on the cross. Psalm 123 says that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. How? Because on the cross, He treated Jesus as our sins deserve. That's the amazing thing about the cross. That's the very heart of the Gospel. That in our clueless rebellion, it does not stop God. We're the offending party, and yet it's God who moves towards us with love, with sacrifice, 
through His Son. Jesus Christ, the perfectly sinless, completely innocent Son of God, does the inconceivable and becomes sin for us. And as He hung on the cross, wave after wave of our sin poured over Christ's sinless soul. And the physical agony of the torture of the cross was just a shadow compared to the weight of the spiritual agony as He takes on all our pride and all our lies and all our hatred and all our deceit and all our lusts. He takes it all on Himself. And He who knew no sin became sin for us. He knew no sin, and yet He becomes sin for us. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. For our sake, Paul says, for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And then listen to what it says so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So not only is our sin put on Jesus, His righteousness is put on us. When God sees us, He sees the righteousness of His own Son. One theologian says this, as inconceivable as it may seem from a human point of view, Such we are in the sight of God the Father, as is the very Son of God Himself. Let it be counted folly or frenzy or fury or whatever. It is our wisdom and our comfort. We care for no knowledge in the world but this, but that man has sinned and God has suffered, that God has made Himself the sin of men, and that men are made the righteousness of God. I mean, what kind of a giving, generous God are we dealing with here? What kind of a generosity is this that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him you and I might become the righteousness of God? (laughs) Praise God. When Nogler has become the righteousness of God, when God looks at Wynn Nogler, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the glorious gospel that we sing about and that we shout about. God forgive us for ever making it less than it is for being so sullen and apathetic in the face of it, for not having our emotions stirred about it, for not having the joy of our salvation. He became sin for you so that you might become His righteousness. Where's the joy of our salvation in the face of that? Where's the joy? He gave His Son. He gave His Son for your sake to reconcile you to Himself, to restore the friendship that you broke in your sin. 
He gave his son to reconcile you to himself. And we just become so dull towards it. I think it's something to sing about. I think it's something to shout about. I think it's something to raise your hands about. I think it's something to do a little dance about. You've been saved. And you can talk about personalities all you want. Ben knows. Ben's known me for quite some time. I used to sit there like this, like a dead pillar. You've been saved. He became sin who knew no sin, so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. When that love grips you, it changes you. Gift number two, the ministry of reconciliation. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And then it says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The moment after we receive the gift of reconciliation, we are given the gift of the ministry of reconciliation, meaning we now carry a responsibility to tell others of the reconciliation that we have received. So the second gift is the honor of telling others about the first gift. That's what the second gift is. And so often we think about mission and evangelism as tasks and chores and not as a glorious gift from God. But Paul says this role, this opportunity has been given to us by God. It's a gift to us that God entrusts with his message of reconciliation and sends us out in the world to deliver it. He could have sent angels from heaven to stand on the street corners and declare the gospel. He didn't. First of all, it would freak a lot of people out. Second, angels have no idea about the ministry of reconciliation. It says in 2 Peter that when the angels sinned, God did not spare them, but sent them to hell in gloomy darkness and chains. But for us, it says that when we sinned, when we sinned he did not spare his own son. The angels know nothing of reconciliation. We're the ones who know about reconciliation. So we can go with the ministry of reconciliation and say, come and see what God has done in my life. He has reconciled me to himself. It's just like a professor. Say you go to a professor at UMB and it's all theory and they've never actually lived it out. And you would just say, well, what? it's just notes on a page. It's just words on a screen. What is it? That's what it would be like for the angels. It would just be theory of reconciliation because they don't know anything of being separated from God and then joyously reunited and reconciled to him. That's why he doesn't send angels to do it. And that's why he sends Windnogler to do it. Because it's not just theory. It's a reality in our lives. God sends us out with this message of reconciliation. And the image Paul paints for us is one of an ambassador. And I just want to read this quote. It's a little long, but he says it so much better than I could say it. So Ed Stetzer, on speaking on this verse about us being ambassadors for Christ, he says, The church is an outpost of light in the darkness. In the military, an outpost is a group of soldiers stationed away from the main force. 
The outpost isn't the main force, but it represents the main force. As an outpost, the church isn't the main force, but it represents the main force. The church is in the world like an embassy is in the country in which its ambassador is stationed. The church is an initial point of contact for the kingdom of God as God's people are interspersed amidst humanity. We do not plead with others from long distance. We plead with them up close and personally. We are sent people meeting others in their home countries. We build relationships with them, both inside and outside the embassy. We are not sent in power. We are sent to serve and build relationships with others to share the truths of the gospel with them. This is the nature of God's kingdom. As Jesus forms a community of the kingdom with the good news of the kingdom, the people he has purchased with his own blood unified to accomplish God's purposes. It's hard to stand here this morning and not think of Pete when I read that quote. He didn't plead from a long distance, but he was up close and personal. He was a sent person meeting others in their home country, building relationships both inside and outside the embassy. He was an ambassador for Christ. We can't fall into the trap of thinking the role of an ambassador is reserved for apostles and preachers and evangelists. We're all ambassadors. The gift of reconciliation and the gift of the ministry of reconciliation come together. You can't have one without the other. It's like trying to buy one box of cereal at Costco. It's not happening. <laughs> They're joined together, right? They're joined together. The gift of reconciliation and the gift of the ministry of reconciliation. I say those things so that now every time you go to Costco and see the box of cereal, you'll think, Ministry of Reconciliation, <laughs> gift of being reconciled, right? <laughs> but I think we can become hesitant about being entrusted with the message of reconciliation, see our ministry as a chore, because so often we approach it like we are just one messenger among many carrying some good advice that we have to try to convince our hearers to take on. And the world is full of gurus and motivational speakers and life coaches and professionals all giving good advice. Do these steps, follow these principles, take on these standards. The world is full of tips and tricks and hacks, advice. But the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. And James Denny said, all the good advice the gospel gives is summed up in this, receive the good news. All the good advice the gospel gives is summed up in this, receive the good news. This is the passion that welled up in Paul's heart so that he says to the Corinthians, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The heart of his message that he preached was not reconcile yourself to God, but be reconciled. Be reconciled. Receive God's offer of reconciliation. So if this morning you know that you're not reconciled to God, you know that right now you sit here Apart from him, your rebellion and your rejection of him has brought hostility between you and God. Then Paul, myself, those who sit here and know something of the friendship of God, we implore you, be reconciled to him. We implore you, be reconciled to him. Receive God's offer 
of reconciliation. As I close, I just want to draw your attention to the beginning of chapter 6 where Paul says that working together with him then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So in all your thinking of God's gifts, don't forget the gift he has given you of today, the gift of now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time. So if you're a Christian this morning, remember that you have a gift of the ministry of reconciliation now. Not in 10 months and not in 10 years. You have the gift of the ministry of reconciliation now. You have the privilege of carrying that gift. Now is the favorable time to carry out your ambassador role in this world. And it looks different with each individual. But we have the privilege of carrying the ambassador role from God now. We're always intending in a year or two to do such great things for God. You've been declared righteous now. You live in it now. Now is the favorable time. Don't receive God's grace in vain. For some of you, God has put things on your heart, ways to serve, ways to minister, ways to act out that ambassador role. He's been speaking to you over the last few weeks, months, maybe even years, and you've always had your reasons for putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Yes, God, that's a good plan. I can see the fruitfulness of it, and it will be great to do when I get through this. When this is done, and I've got to read this book first so I can know a little more, and I want to you know, have a bit money, more money so I can give a little bit more, and now is the favorable time. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning, and you've sat in on lots of meetings, you've heard the gospel many times, you've even felt God working in your life, working in your heart, but you've always tossed it aside and filed it under to-do. You need to take these words very seriously. Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. God has given you a great gift of today, another day for him to be merciful to you, another day for you to hear the gospel, another opportunity for you to see Jesus and receive his gift of reconciliation and friendship with God. James 4.14 says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? It is but a vapor that appears for a moment and then vanishes away. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. The band can come up and and we can get ready for communion as well. Father, we're so thankful for your word. Even though it's challenging to us, and even though it weighs heavy on us, we know it's a good word because we know you're a good God who gives good gifts. We thank you, Father, for your generosity towards us. 
There was nothing in us that compelled you to go to such great lengths to reconcile us to yourself. It was your great love that did it, and we praise you for it. And that's why we sing, now our soul cries out, hallelujah, because our debt's been paid. We've been forgiven. We've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ because our sin was put on him, and we've been reconciled to you. Just the sentence that we get to enjoy friendship with you shows just how much of a great giver you are. And we praise you for it. My prayer, Father, is that these words would, wouldn't just fly away as we leave here. We wouldn't just look at our face in the mirror and then walk away and forget what we look like. I pray that for those of us here who have put our trust in Jesus, who have received that reconciliation, we would see that we've also been given the ministry of reconciliation. We take seriously our ambassador role that you have given us in this world. That we would, in some way or another, plead with people to receive the reconciliation from Christ. And for my friends here who don't yet know that reconciliation, I pray that they would do what your word says and be reconciled this morning. That they'd see that it's not them who need to reconcile themselves to you. You've done that work. That's your work. Jesus has reconciled. Jesus has offered reconciliation. They now just need to receive that reconciliation in Christ. We pray that you would do your work this morning, Jesus. Amen.